It's not like any other podcast. Coming to you straight from Eastern Iowa, where apartment ownership and investing is told like it is. It's time for Darren Garman's Apartment Specialist Podcast. Hold on, because here comes the next episode of the Apartment Specialist Podcast. Well, hello, Darren Garman here, and welcome to this week's podcast. I'm excited to talk about the big short. Uh, And I've got to give credit to um, one of our investors, Paul from Washington, who uh, basically told me about this movie. And and, and by the way, this isn't like a who 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 was who were the movie reviewing guys? Roper, I geez, I can't remember who it was now. Um, Those of you, so somebody sent me an email, let me know who the movie reviewers was. Siegel and Roper. Siskel, Siskel and Ebert, I think. Wasn't that it? Siskel and Ebert, I think. If I'm wrong, send me an email and let me know, would you? Because now my, my memory's not doing a good job. But And maybe there's still people out there that do movie reviews. Uh, I don't watch enough TV or to, to really know if somebody's out there doing that. I think there used to be a couple of guys named Siskel and Ebert. I think that's it. That used to be the movie reviewing guys and... Um, Anyway, so uh, this isn't that. I'm not going to be reviewing the movie, but uh, Paul suggested to me he was here for our Investors Discovery Day, checking out properties and apartment buildings and things. And he was uh, here checking things out, and he said he suggested I watch this movie. Thought it would be a good movie. It's about real estate. And if you've not seen the movie, it is basically about two groups of investors that get wind that the housing market, the real estate market, the financial markets are going to crash in 2007, 2008. They see this coming. They see this developing. Uh, one, uh, uh, one of the characters played by Christian Bale, is a a real introverted, odd, quant kind of guy that reads all these charts and graphs and invests billions of dollars from a fund that he oversees in shorting the housing market. And of course, while he's doing this, everybody thinks he's just absolutely crazy, that he's off his rocker, that he's nuts, especially his investors who are screaming and yelling and you know, threats of litigation ensuing him because he's doing this and, and not allowing these investors to actually take money out of the fund because once they catch wind of this, they think he's crazy. Uh, and then there's another group of investors that uh, see this coming. Uh, they actually go and start looking into housing markets and flying to these places like Florida, places in Florida, Arizona, uh, California, and they see all of these homes with these for sale signs in front of them. Uh, they're talking with mortgage brokers about their qualification processes. And anyway, so I'm not going to go over the whole movie with you, and I'm not going to do a review. I'm going to make a suggestion that you, you like, if you're an investor, and, and I don't care if you're not into real estate, you got to watch this movie. It's really, really good, and it's really eye-opening in terms of the lengths that uh, 
in this case, Wall Street will go and passing the buck and kicking the can down the road and it, all the way to you know fraudulently releasing releasing fraudulent information in order to kick the can down the road until at the end of the day there's no I mean there's no turning back and everything just starts to collapse. Uh, so if you haven't seen it yet, I do want to make a recommendation to watch it. It is pretty darn good. Uh, no matter what you're interested in investing in. And so what does this have to do with this week's podcast? I wanted to talk about a few. It really brought up to me when I was watching this movie all of the red flags that I started to see when this was going on. And a lot of the red flags that I'm going to talk about during this podcast, I wanted to bring up the red flags because it's not just applicable to what happened in 07 and 08 with the real estate crash and the housing market crash. It's not, I mean, it relates to a lot of other areas of investing. And so what I want to share with you are some of those red flags, some of the things that I saw that are applicable to about any kind of investment. And if you keep your antenna up and your eyes open, it doesn't take a guy like, uh, and I can't remember the character's name. The, you know, the guy that Christian Bale played as the uh, introverted, kind of weird, uh, professorish guy that you know looks at charts and graphs and does all of these models to figure this stuff out. Uh, and so let me just jump into them. And, and this is some, I think, some really, really good common sense kind of things to be watchful for or to keep your eyes open to, okay? Number one is ease. That's right, ease, easy. If, um, if everybody's doing it, if it's that easy, that's a red flag, okay? Uh, if it's that easy to get involved in the investment, if the herd is all getting involved in the investment, because of how things are so wonderful, then it's an investment that the little red flag has to go up. And you have to get more research and look into it further. Yeah, I mean, if it's easy and everyone's doing it, uh, the herd is going one direction, you probably want to think about going the other direction, I would think. So I'll give you an example. We were at the time, so this would have been... 2000, I knew something was really going on in 2005. So this would have been two, late 2005, I want to say the fall of 2005. And how I, and, and, and so by the way, not that I knew exactly what was going on, but there are two things happened in 2005 that really, I was really scratching my head about. And so admittedly, there's no way I'm saying right now that I knew what was going on in 2005. No, but Looking back, I was scratching my head about a couple of things. So here's the first thing regarding following the herd and how easy things were. First thing was, as an apartment manager, landlord, when you own your own apartments, and someone, <clears throat> one of your residents, is going to get financing, you will get a, some documentation from the lender that the 
resident is getting their financing from to buy the home or condo, you'll get a verification letter that basically says, hey, has this resident paid their rent on time? Uh, how much is their rent? Uh, I mean, that's basically what it says. Have they been paying on time? If they've been late, how many times have they been late? And how much is their rent? So like clockwork, whenever any of our residents were going to buy a home or condo, this form would show up from whichever bank or credit union. Uh, our staff would fill it out and they would send it back. Well, I had a staff member tell me that, you know, it's strange, Darren. We haven't seen one of these in a while. Uh... And this came to light when we had a resident that used to live with us, didn't live with us anymore, uh, contacted our office looking for some information that they were wanting in order to be able to uh, buy their own, buy their first condo. And it was interesting because my staff member told me that this particular resident was late with rent all the time and was a huge, I'll just say it, pain in the ass. <laughs> I mean, just a real pain in the ass resident, late all the time, always needed to be called and followed up on in order to pay rent on time. And this sta our staff member at the time was surprised that they were going to be able to buy their own home, or I think in this case it was a house, not a condominium. And then she happened to say to me, she said, you know, this kind of reminds I haven't seen any rent verification letters for a few months. And I know we've had some residents move into their own home or condo. So, I mean, I took mental note of that. But, you know, at the time, you're not thinking that there's some kind of big problem going on. But then we started to notice. We went back and looked at our numbers and started to see a trend going on where we would have not only residents that ordinarily we wouldn't think would be able to qualify because of their payment record with us on their rents, but also the amount of residents that were leaving and being able to buy their own home or condominium. Everybody was doing it. Now, we didn't have a mass exodus of residents coming out of our apartments, but enough to see that, hey, something's going on here. How can all these residents, all these tenants, um, and some, on the other hand, with really good payment and track records with us, but their income was not very high compared to buying a home or a condo? I mean, if you're making, if you're bringing in $40,000 a year, and you're buying a $250,000 home. I mean, something's kind of wrong there, right? So we started seeing this and seeing an exodus of residents, not, not an exodus, but enough going out where it was, hmm, this is interesting. Many of our residents are doing this. And obviously it was easy because we were not getting any more of the underwriting verification paperwork that you would ordinarily see when someone leaves a uh, rental 
for their own home or condo. So that was the first thing that was kind of interesting. The second thing was the mortgage brokerage business. Everybody was a mortgage broker. I mean, you didn't even have to have an office and you were a mortgage broker. All you had to do was call yourself a mortgage broker. And all of a sudden, they were all over the place. You went from hardly any mortgage brokers to hundreds of them running around everywhere. I remember reading an article about this time in the Wall Street Journal about a guy that was making $65,000 a year driving a Pepsi truck to earning $450,000 a year and continue to grow in earnings as a mortgage broker with no experience as a mortgage broker, no experience in banking, no experience in finance. He flips from Pepsi truck driver making 65K to mortgage broker making 450K, all within a year, right? Now that's kind of interesting. Not only that, but I started to see more and more mortgage brokers popping up and then contacting us for business. In, turn, in other words, they wanted us to share information with them on our residence. You know, can we get your mailing list for your tenants? Uh, can we mail them? You know, they're getting permission from us to contact them. Uh, which we've never had that before. And I thought that was interesting. Uh, then, in, um, at the same time, I would go to closings where a buyer would be buying a small apartment property. So, so we'd have a small apartment property for sale, like a four-unit, five, six-unit property. And I would uh, attend a closing of these, and, and this is on the brokerage end of things. So if we were selling, um, I would attend the, the closing uh, once in a while. And these mortgage brokers would show up because these people would be buying them as owner-occupied properties. These mortgage brokers would show up at the closing in shorts and flip-flops and baseball caps to help facilitate closing this loan, and off they went. And I'm really scratching my head now saying, what the hell? This is what's going on? Um, again... Many, many people were suddenly getting involved in the mortgage brokerage business and becoming mortgage brokers. I have a really good friend of mine and one of our investment partners that at the time was running a 14 to 15 person mortgage brokerage business. So he was the manager. He owned the business. He employed 15 mortgage brokers. Uh, this was in the Midwest, not in Iowa, but in a state in the Midwest. And he was bringing in seven figures of personal income without a sweat. Now, this was a guy that, again, had no experience in being a mortgage broker. Now he's managing 14 of these guys, and he basically was showing up at the office uh, processing some paperwork, had a bunch of staff, and he's bringing home you know seven figures plus a year easily. So this is going on, right? 
uh, a stampede of people that are now mortgage brokers. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You saw this going on all over the place. Uh, then it became a case of how do we get our money involved in this? Because we're missing out. What do I mean? Well, as many of you know, I used to be a part owner of a bank, sat on the bank's board of directors, and the bank's credit committee as well. So you'd think as bankers, as owners of the bank, we would have at least a little more smarts than the average person, the average investor. Oh no, we didn't. How did we not? Well, while all this was going on, and now everyone's thinking they're missing out on the boom here. Uh, they're missing out on all of the profits that will come in as a result of being involved in the housing market. So here's what happened. As a bank, sometimes you're going to be approached to participate in a loan. So what that really means, it's a loan syndication. So there may be what they call a lead bank that's going to be making, let's say, a $20 million loan. Well, that bank doesn't have $20 million of capital to lend. So it will put the word out and basically say, hey, we want to make this $20 million loan, but we can only loan $4 million. Is there anyone out there interested in loaning anything else? Any you know, and help you know, joining us and and we'll pool our resources and we'll make this twenty million dollar loan. So a friend of our uh, bank president at the time, a colleague, was doing some uh, was involved with a lender in Florida, and they were looking at doing a loan on a fifteen million dollar development in Florida, condominium development. And this was bare land, bare ground. So a developer wanted to come in, build condos, develop and build condos and do that. So we got contacted to participate in this loan. Not a huge amount. It was about $650,000. Well, we had just started the bank a year ago, a year or a little more than a year, between one and two years before this opportunity came up. So this was presented to our board to get involved in this as a participant lender, $650,000. The market's booming, market's going crazy, things are just great. We feel like we're missing out. So what did we do? We approved and participated in this loan. And $650,000 is not a lot of money in the banking world. Uh, it's a lot of money. But in the banking world, it's not that much. Uh, but when you're a startup de novo, which means right out of the ground startup bank, that's a lot of money. So we made the loan. Only to be called about a year later when the market crashed. Um, it actually was about two years later. So we got called, we got a call two years later that the developer was having problems, of course. Uh, and this was shortly before everything fell apart. Then everything fell apart about two, two and a half years later. So we went from a $15 million uh, uh, piece of land to with partial constructed condos on it now that have been abandoned to 
about a $6 million piece of land. So our loan, basically, our, our investment went from $650 to about $225 in about two years. And on a newer bank's balance sheet, that's not good. And it's certainly not good in the eyes of regulators either. So we had lots of fun with that. Again, ease. And I was one of those people that was involved in it. All of the lenders, all of the banks were getting involved in this because they thought they were missing out. How many lenders went under for good when this happened? Some lenders who were uh, guilty of really fraudulently passing the buck and kicking the can down the road, sure, they're gone. But there were a lot of lenders that took a really, really big hit. Not because they were doing anything illegal, but because they wanted to get in on it like everybody else following the herd because of how easy the money was being made. And I admittedly was part of that process and uh, guilty of that. Uh, the last little story I'll tell you about that happened when we were working with a uh, lady. We were looking at purchasing a portfolio of about 100 single-family home rentals. So long story short, a gentleman over a period of like 20 years purchases about 100 single-family homes and rents them out. Uh, he passes away. So now, uh, and he doesn't have a man. He manages them all himself. Imagine that if you're if you don't like property management, manage, imagine managing 100 single-family homes. So now guess who's managing it? His wife is managing it. She does have a property management company now in place, but of course now she doesn't want anything to do with it and wants to sell these houses. So we're looking at buying this portfolio of single-family homes in one swoop. And as we're doing this, there was uh, a couple of her tenants that contacted her and said that they would like that they heard that she was going to be selling and they would like to buy the house that they were renting. So she asked as part of us looking at these, looking at purchasing, could our brokerage company help her uh, with the transaction between tenant and her and selling a couple of houses? Of course I said sure. Here's what we discovered while we were doing that. Uh, two of the residents, two of the tenants, both of them uh, did not have jobs. They were unemployed. So both of these homes had unemployed people living in them. They were looking for jobs. Um, one couple did not have any kids. Another couple had two kids. So they were getting unemployment at the time. Uh, and I don't remember what their positions were, but they weren't working anymore. They were both on unemployment. Both, both houses, households were on unemployment. One household with two kids. The other one did not have kids. Uh, but anyway, they were applying for and getting loans. They were getting financing to buy these houses. And when my, uh, when my minister, one of my administrative folks at the time was telling me about this, 
you know, she said, I don't get it. They're, uh, they're unemployed, but they're getting financing to buy the house. And of course, at the time you think, well, maybe there's a, you know, maybe there's a rich relative. Maybe there's somebody helping them out. Maybe there's somebody co-signing on the loan. I mean, that's not out of the, that's not out of the ordinary, having somebody help you get a loan. And then, of course, we find out later, no, that's not the case. Nobody's helping. They're getting the paperwork and the financing pushed through, and they're getting a loan to buy these homes, and they have no income coming in. They have no jobs at the time. Wow. Wow. So, when again, when you see how easy it is for people to do this, that's a red flag. My last little story about this, and this was the capper. This is when I actually, and so all, the funny thing is, all of this is going on, and it doesn't hit me that there's a problem. It hits me that, boy, that's weird. That's weird. That's interesting. It's interesting how this housing market is creating this, these, little, these anomalies. I'm not putting two and two together thinking, holy shit, there's a, there's a problem here. I'm not putting it together at all. Uh, but here's when I did start putting it together, at least a little bit, and started to suspect there's something going on. So I'm attending a marketing conference, business entrepreneur marketing conference in Orlando. So I fly into Orlando. I, you know, get, I get a cab and the cab is taking me to my hotel. And of course, with the cabbie, there's small talk. Who are you? Where are you from? And so as we're talking, you know, of course I said, so how's business? Did you, did you just start working? Uh, is your shift just starting? Are you getting done pretty soon? He said, yeah, I'm getting done here pretty soon. And I'm going to be uh, going to my, my next job that I'll be doing full time here probably in the next month. And I said, what's that? He said, flipping condos. I said, flipping condos. And so he goes on to tell me during the rest of the ride to my hotel how to flip condos, what to look for, how much money he's making, how easy it is, and on and on and on. But yet he's driving a taxi and he's taking me to my hotel. So I got out of the car, out of the cab, and as I'm heading into the uh, lobby of the hotel, I'm thinking to myself, you know, if the cabbie is telling me how easy it is and how great it is to be in the investment real estate business, i.e. flipping condos, something's going on here, right? Something's going on here. Uh and I just I thought about it, took some time to actually think about what it could be, but you know I didn't think any more of it. But it you know told the story to quite a few people at the conference, and then of course I heard about you know I know a guy and he's buying six at a time and flipping them. I know a guy that's buying a house in Vegas for two hundred thousand. He's selling it two months now for two fifty. So I'm hearing this now. I'm hearing all these kinds of stories. And then I'm thinking, God, something must be going on here, right? Something must be going on. But again, like I said earlier in the podcast, 
I didn't, I didn't come across with the notion that, oh yeah, the, the real estate market's going to crash. But something was going on. Again, why? Everybody was doing it. Everybody was talking about it, and it was easy. And it was easy. Uh, it's really similar to, if you think about it, a Ponzi scheme. So um, I'm approached, oh, geez. I mean, and I'm not talking like the internet guys, the emails that you get. and But I'm approached with some business opportunity thing, uh, probably at least three or four times a year, with a company I've never heard of, with how quickly you're going to make money and how easy it is. Well, you already know, right? You already know that that's not the case. And when I uh, when I come full circle to investing in investor, and again, it comes down to a lot of times, or a lot of people doing it, is everybody involved and how easy is it? So I will get three or four, or at least four or five people approach me a year with some kind of business opportunity I've never heard about, how easy it is, how much money I can make, and how much time I don't have to spend doing it. I mean, you already know, right? You already know. It's, it's, it's not for real. There is nothing you can do that is worthwhile investment-wise that does not take time, effort, or energy in order to accomplish a very, very good result. And if there is something out there that's like it, it is always short-lived, doesn't last, and is here today, gone tomorrow, and in many cases, there is a lot of collateral damage that goes along with it, right? So you compare this to, so I've got a group of investors and myself that are going to be closing on and purchasing a 120 plus unit apartment property here in about 10 days. And you want to talk about the opposite of easy. There's no way this is easy. There's no way. Um, there are so many hurdles, so many steps from beginning to end that has to do with everything from uh, purchase agreements to attorneys reviewing everything just to get the purchase agreement done. Then you've got investors involved. Then you've got a lot of times their legal counsel looking over everything, including partnership documents. Then you've got surveys. Then you've got environmental work. Then you've got um, appraisal work. Then you've got inspections. Then you have... Um, uh, the uh, attorneys involved in closing, then you have the closing documents, and then you have, I mean, I could go on and on. And if there's one thing that is not even close to being easy and that you don't see everybody doing it, it's owning their own apartment community or investment property like this, right? This is not what you, this is not easy. The herd is not doing this. There, there's not... Millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people even, even tens of thousands of people flocking to owning their own apartment communities. And it's not easy. Which is exactly the reason why 
you should be doing it. Really. Um, you know, I've got a business mentor of mine that he has a saying. And it, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase it. It goes something like this. It goes something like, if everybody's doing it, if everybody's talking about it, if everybody thinks you should be involved in it, you should do the exact opposite thing. And he wasn't, he was not only talking about investment stuff, he was talking about business things. He was talking about everything from equipment purchasing, you know, to uh, marketing to, I mean, he was applying this to about everything. Uh, he said, just about the time you, everyone is on board doing everything, and that's the gold, everybody's doing that, and that's the way everybody's going, you should really seriously consider thinking about going the opposite direction. And more often than not, he's right. He's right. So uh, I guess one of the things that I would really, um, especially in the world that we're in today, where it's so easy electronically now to do investing, you need to be asking yourself the following, what I would consider old-timer questions. Okay, I'm going to put myself under the old-timer umbrella. Um, for those of you that are millennials, that means old guy. Okay, Some of you old-timer, uh, some old-timer things to think about and some old-timer things to consider when it comes to investing, okay? Number one, old-timer saying, number one, if it was that easy, everybody would be doing it, okay? If it's that easy, everybody would be doing it. Well, if it's easy and everybody's doing it, what does that tell you, right? That tells you, nah, Maybe I better step back and check some things out and see how this goes first before I invest time and I invest money into it, okay? Before I invest time and before I invest money. If it's that easy, if it's so simple, if I can make that much money, right, everybody would be doing it. Well, if everybody's doing it, it's that easy. Guess what? It probably is a problem. Uh, number two, have you heard of these people? Do you know them? Do you understand them? Have you heard of them? Now, um, I will say just because you've not heard of them, doesn't necessarily disqualify them right off the bat. But if they don't have any kind of track record, then you need to be thinking. You know, I would argue that one of the reasons why Amazon is worth trillions of dollars, I think they're still worth over a trillion dollars, versus, I don't know, when they versus maybe 10 years ago, I think they're like 30 billion or something like that, uh, is because everybody now knows them, right? Uh, they've been around a long time. Now they're known. And they were known 10 years ago, but not like they are today. Uh, and you could say that about a lot of businesses. And Amazon's a company that didn't make money for years. 
for years, losing billions of dollars. But they stuck around, they kept at it, and look at them today. Uh, so, do you know who they are? The third thing that I would say is, is everybody doing it? Is everybody doing it? So there are investments today that everybody is flocking to, running to, wanting to be involved in. Why? Because the market is high. So I would say the majority of investors that are investing in the stock market today are doing so only because everybody else is doing it and they think they're going to be missing out on some big, big money. There's not a lot of strategy involved in it, but it's because everybody else is doing it. Not a good reason to invest. Not a good reason. Because you're setting yourself up for issues. A recent example of that is Bitcoin. Okay, So Bitcoin was huge. Everybody started getting involved in Bitcoin. Then it hit the bottom. Right Now it might be making a little bit of comeback. But the main reason it went up so high, so fast is because, why? That's right, everybody wanted to be involved. When I, I tell you like another quick real, little story about this. When my oldest daughter says that her boyfriend is making really good money in Bitcoin and he never knew anything about it and he was going to talk to me about how I should probably invest in Bitcoin, that just already kind of tells you, doesn't it? That already tells you that there's probably something going on there. I know that now, right? But a lot of people wouldn't know that. I know that now based on my past experience. And then I'll give you a last thing to kind of chew on and consider here. The last thing is what I call bullshit stories that you know can't be the case, but sometimes you fall for them anyway. And I'm talking about the gigantic wild claims that you hear, okay? If there's gigantic and wild claims, well, really? Gigantic and wild. So that's different from uh, testimonials from people that are satisfied with what you've done and have had some, in our case as investors, some good returns. It's different from that. But if someone says something like, I invested $10,000 on Monday and it skyrocketed to $100,000 in 30 days, you better run away from that as fast as you can. And those are hard ones because we just want to believe so bad, don't we? We really, really want to believe that those kinds of things are possible. You know, um, because all that really is, is it's gambling. I mean, that's all that is. I put $50,000 on black. Um, it came up black and I walked out with $500,000. That's gambling. So when people say, I made this, I put $10,000 in this investment um, in 2019 and 
I've already made my money back after three months. I mean, come on. Really? Come on. So when you have to say, come on, really? You already know. I remember when I was at, and this is where I started seeing this and not falling for this and not saying to myself, because we all want this to be true. We all want this to happen. We all want this to be possible, but it's just not. So I remember I was at a, uh, I was at a conference um, and it was a, uh, it was a real estate conference. But part of the real estate conference was they had a guy that just started a business um, and it had, it was like a, um, it was electronic. It had something to do with uh, electronic information and being able to pull information off. He had this, he had this software program. And so he was talking about, his whole talk was about scaling and how to, you know, start out as, you know, a sole entrepreneur and build this huge business. So I knew this guy was full of crap because he said that his first, his first two years, he started out with nothing, then made a couple million. And then all of a sudden he said, and then now I've got over a billion dollars in revenue. And so while he's talking, I raised my hand and I said, um, I said, did you just say a billion dollars? He said, yeah, my revenue is over a billion dollars and here's how I did it. Come on. Really? No, you didn't. No, you didn't. That's not true. And, uh, of course, found out a couple of years later that that wasn't the case. So I've spent a lot of time on this podcast telling stories. I've spent a lot of po- uh, time on this podcast uh, in some cases, stating the obvious in some places, in some places, not so much. But in the environment that we're all in and exposed to, when it comes to investing, we are bombarded with messages on how easy it is and how everyone's doing it. Here's another quick example. So go on YouTube once, and now... If you ever want to watch a video, you have to look, you have to wait for some ad to pop through first for like, I don't know, is it like five seconds or something like that? Uh, and even as you're watching a video on YouTube, if, if you want to, there's more ads that pop up. And what do all those ads basically say? How easy it is to start this business, make all this money with this business, how much work you don't have to do. And there's also like the, not only it's business stuff, it's like dieting stuff and weight loss. All I did was these three simple things and it was so easy and the pounds just dropped off, right? Bullshit. We know that's not possible, but we want to believe so bad. And where I'm going with this is the environment where these kinds of messages will be hitting us is going to be even worse, more and more and more the case. And the easier and the faster we can sift through the BS, the better off all of us as investors are going to be. Okay, look, it's been great spending time with you today on this podcast. Uh, Hope that you got some good use out of the content and the information. No matter when you're listening, where you're listening, or how you're listening, I hope you did have uh, you get some good you did get some good information out of today's podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week or weekend whenever you listened, 
and we will talk to you soon again. All right, take care. We'll see you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining the Apartment Specialist Podcast. For investment questions, comments, or to get in touch with Darren, go to www.heartlandinvestmentrealestate.com.